discuss all things magical, mystical, metaphysical, and sometimes even a little mundane. I'm Kristen. And I'm Nancy. And this week our episode is cauldrons. It's one of the basic witch's tools. It's prominent in witch mythology and lore and imagery. And I thought it would be fun, especially this time of year. You know, it, it falls really nicely into that sort of Samhain through even um, up to Imbolc. So what is a cauldron? At its very, very basic, it is a container that that conducts heat, that keeps things warm, mm-hmm. and typically its shape is sort of a bowl with high sides and three legs and a handle. It can be made of pretty much anything depending on how you intend to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything from a metal to ceramic or stone or even glass or resin Cast iron. Mine is a beautiful cast iron one. Although, to be fair, I have several. I've only purchased the like on purpose. The other ones just kind of appeared. I don't understand. Hmm. Anyway, um, so at its very basicness, a cauldron is something that is used to cook or to transport, typically to keep things warm. First of all, I want to kind of go through some of the myths that are associated with cauldrons, there are honestly quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, every culture has some form of a cauldron. It may not be like the witch's cauldron that you're thinking when you think a cauldron, but they have some sort of container with legs that is used in the same way, even often in the same way mythologically. So I'm just going to go through some myths. I am not particularly... um, a mythologist, <laughs> uh, but um, so these won't be told as well as say you would get on like lore or mythological or something like that. Two highly recommended podcasts, by the way. The first one is Seridwen, which is a Celtic goddess who had two children. One a beautiful, beautiful girl child, and the other, according to the myth, an absolutely Hideous boy child. But Sarah's win. Oh, no, they make a point to let you know. Mm, child is ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and, I, like, every, and I have read several of Sarah Dwin's. I've read this myth in several versions. And in every single one, it's the daughter is gorgeous. She's clearly the daughter of a deity. And, and then there's this hobgoblin. <laughs> You know, but did they have the same father? Yes, in that they never mentioned the father. <laughs> but it is a—it's so frequently alluded that they are so. But she has so she has the beautiful daughter, and she has this one hideous, hideous boy child. But she decides that for the hideous boy child, what she will do—and no, I'm—I'm I'm not going to remember their names. We're not—we're not here for that. <laughs> uh, what she's going to do is she has this magical spell that will create a potion. She'll brew this potion, and this potion will bring him wisdom and the gift of words and poetry and make him the greatest bard, right? And so we're kind of hinting at some druidic things through this. But to make this potion, she has to brew it for a year and a day. And 
At no point may any of it be wasted or tasted, and it must be watched. Three, I can see many places where this is going to go bad. <laughs> <laughs> it must be watched every second, or it will fail. So she hires two people. Well, hires. <laughs> she gets two people to do this. One's an old man, one's a young boy. At the end of this, it has reduced down as a good poaching does, mm -hmm. to three drops, the three drops required. And as he, the young boy, is going to remove the cauldron off the fire, these three drops spill onto his thumb, and they're burning hot, so he sticks it in his mouth, and he, to, you know, to cool the burn, yeah. and he has now consumed this potion. And Serdwin is furious, naturally. Yeah. So a grand chase occurs. Now, Naturally, this boy now has all the magical powers. Everything. He can shapeshift now. So he shapeshifts. There's, he shapeshifts at one point into a fish. She shifts into an eagle and catches him in the stream. Or an eel, something like that. Anyway, by the end of it, and there's several iterations of this. And then he changes before she catches him. He decides he's going to change into a grain, a single grain of wheat that she then eats. But he doesn't die. He is... He grows in her womb as her child, and she gives birth then to the greatest of all druids, basically, Taliesin. And so... Not to the Lupin. No, I don't know. That's never... I've never seen anything... That was the last that. we heard of that. <laughs> I guess we're just over now. <laughs> she always want to know the, the probably right? important details. Right. The other guy. Right, my bad. <laughs> So that's Saradwin's cauldron. And in that story, we see all of the Celtic shamanic things, the shape-shifting, the traveling through realms, the concept of being reborn, mm -hmm. transformed, and then reborn, and all thanks to the work of the cauldron, basically. Yeah, I was thinking that now that's how all those uh, teachings would ever tie back to the cauldron. Mm -hmm. So is that like one of the first legends? Um, I didn't check chronology because it just didn't even occur to me honestly um but it is a very ancient tale it's really one of the foundational tales of irish mythology for sure uh the next myth this isn't really a myth this is really more of just sort of an association but the slavic baba yaga which i'm probably pronouncing incorrectly when you think baba yaga you think the old woman with the house on chicken feet that mm. runs through the forest. And, you know, that might be sort of the foundation for the Hansel and Gretel story. Okay. Um, but Baba Yaga, as a character, can be seen either as a crone or a hag or a grandmotherly figure. And she is often either kind and helpful or not. <laughs> <laughs> Not really sure how to say that nicely. Yeah. <laughs> um, the witch of another level. Yes, that's a good one. But in a lot of the mythologies, if she's not traveling in her house on chicken legs, she is traveling in a flying cauldron that she uses the or a mortar and pestle. And now the pestle or or the spoon in her cauldron is what she uses. It's kind of like an oar, and she uses like, a, or a rudder, yeah. and that's what she's using to get through. But what she, what we can take from this is the cauldron stands for the things that we can't control. 
and using tools to help control the things we using the tools at our disposal mm-hmm. as witches and pagans. There's Xerxes cauldron in the Odyssey where Odysseus and his men land on Xerxes Island where there's all sorts of wild creatures but they're all very they're you know wolves and bears and wild boars but they're all very tame and as it turns out it's because they're all humans under a spell um but Xerxes has a cauldron that she uses to brew the potions but a cauldron is mentioned as a way to break the spell in some way I didn't really understand. Even in the myths, in the three versions I read, Odyssey doesn't make a lot of sense to me. There's a, a cauldron stand-in story of Odin losing his eye and gaining the runes, the runes and that he dips himself in a well okay. or a pool to gain the the wisdom of another realm. And Dagda, which is another Irish deity, has the Undri, which is the cauldron of plenty. It will never run out. It will never empty. It will never fail. And what it is it filled with? Food. But oh, that's food. A, it's very vague. Probably, I assume, based on my knowledge of Irish cooking. <laughs> <laughs> which is not very good. Um, uh, but it's the Cauldron of Plenty, and it's one of the four treasures of the Tuatagdana. Um, okay. The other three treasures are the Spear of Ulf, the Stone of Falf, and the Sword of Life. But the cauldron never empties, and it's always representing both plenty and mm-hmm. prosperity, but also community and the idea of working together to keep the cauldron full. In our you, (laughs) King Arthur and the Holy Grail, the Holy Grail at first was a cauldron. And then later on, it came converted to the Holy Grail. I thought, well, this is a pretty common thing for history to be changed. Well, but it also makes sense because if if Jesus, right, was the poor son of a poor carpenter, Mm-hmm. What is he going to have access to? Some big fancy hunky dory cup, or is he? And plus, mm-hmm. you he did not travel alone. Yeah. If the myths are true, yeah. I said what I said. Um, <laughs> he didn't travel alone, and so what would he? What would they have all had? They would have had one cooking vessel, right, yeah. and their own cups. So the Holy Grail could either be a cauldron from which he was feeding all of his people, mm-hmm. or it could have been his simple cup that he used to to eat from. Yeah. But it would have been simple. That's one of the things I love about Yeah, not being confident. No. No, because that would have been against everything he preached. Yeah. And yes, I have read that book <laughs> twice. <laughs> so in our magic and in our practice... Um, so let me let me preface this by saying a lot of the information I got was from the most fabulous book called The Witch's Cauldron, The Craft, Lore, and Magic of Ritual Vessels by Laura Tempest-Sadkoff. You will have heard us say talk about her. She is fantastic. The way she breaks it down is a cauldron 
right, mm-hmm. or your ritual vessel has nine different uses. And there will be overlap, as with most things. But one of the things that um, all of her books do is get you thinking in terms of connections and what I've been calling mythical thinking, mm-hmm. how we connect the myths to real life and apply that in a way that is practical as well as spiritual. <clears throat> so, the nine uses are container, maker, transformer, purifier, gateway, marker, drum, divination, and rebirth. And I'm going to kind of go through those bit by bit. Um, So the container is the passive act of just holding something. Um, What is in the container is complete and waiting to be shared. Yeah, exactly exactly like a pot of soup. So ritual Yes, that. (laughs) Um, If you are not going to be creating, but you are going to be sharing, let's say a punch. Well, I mean, that's just the name. Like a ritual drink amongst your coven or your group. The cauldron is a perfect container for that. Mm -hmm. Sir, um, one other thing I did see is we were talking about different types of cauldron. Someone said, I use my crack pot. Yes, exactly. I could do It's going to nail all these. The, yeah. the only one it might not hit is the drum, and that's, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the maker. Now, this one's active. So this is, you know, you're dumping your stuff into your crock pot. This is the act of making and stirring and brewing and... So sometimes when I do like some of my fire magic and it is burning itself out in the cauldron, mm-hmm. it's making the magic in the cauldron like mm-hmm. that, as well as containing the fire, but it's yeah. it's actively making and releasing the magic that way. But like I said, there's a lot of overlap. Mm-hmm. Different whole, stages. Yeah, the whole point of this is just to be getting our listeners really to be thinking about things in these metaphorical ways but also it like just be really intentional and like thinking of the spider webby effects <laughs> the transformer now this is also an active thing but it's it's trans it's we're transforming in a more metaphysical sense right so we're not really talking about this realm we're talking um kind of like the transmutation now i you know i'm not I'm not a big fan of this, but in especially in Catholicism, when you consume the wine and the little weird wafer that tastes like grass every time I've ever had one, and does, um, it transmutes into the body and the blood of Christ, right? That's Okay, so that's kind of what we're talking about here. So when you put your energy into this, you're transforming your energy into something else. So if I, if my intention in my cauldron when I'm doing magic is I intend to use this spell or this ritual to bring me, let's say, prosperity. That's always a good one. Everybody wants more of that. It will transform that energy into 
the energy that goes out into the world that brings back to me, um, it transforms that energy into something that then goes out. So it transforms my intentions into really what it's doing is it's helping me transform. Yeah, it's transforming. It's transforming my intention into something I can use more practically. Okay. Often, the purifier, cleansing, boom, done. Cleansing. You know, you can wash. You can burn things in it. That's always very cleansing for some of us. Mm-hmm. Um, you can boil when we practically. In real time, when we boil water to make it safe to drink, we're purifying the water. Mm-hmm. We're kind of doing that with our intentions, our spirits, our thoughts, our those things, right? Your cauldron can help with that. Now, now we start getting to the really mythological things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the cauldron is a gateway. It is frequently represented as... Um, so, with the story of Odin, where it's a well instead of specifically a cauldron, it's still a gateway. He dips himself into it. He enters another realm. He's gifted the runes. He comes back. Um, really, with the story of Baba Yaga, too, she's traveling through this astral space or whatever, mm-hmm. and her cauldron, it's a form of transportation. It's a, we can use it as a gateway, especially if we're using a cauldron in our magical work in the real world. We can use it as a focal point to go into these other realms. It works really at the marker function for it is as a ritual placeholder or as an altar itself. And I have seen a few rituals where they used more than one cauldron to sort of mark out the sacred space. I use my cauldron on my altar as a functioning part of my altar all the time. And frequently when I'm doing just spells or whatever, it is the only part of my altar that I'm using. It's because I'm taking it from the altar and I'm taking it to where I'm going to do the work and kind of taking that with me as a drum. Now you can use it as a real drum and, you know, hit the side, especially if you have a beautiful cast iron one and you get a metal like a metal poker or something oh Oh, god the sound yes Uh, but metaphorically a drum is the heartbeat so when you're drumming right we're emulating a heartbeat or we're changing a heartbeat or we're tapping into a heartbeat I'm actually drumming that's the noise you hear and so if you use the side of your cauldron then you can Tap into that energy. Now, for divination, we're back to kind of practical, right? You can use it. I use mine frequently in divination as a scrying device. Um, if I can't find my scrying bowl, which I don't know where it went, so interesting that. Anyway, um, <laughs> so as a scry, tea leaves. Um, if you're um, particularly fond of fire like I am, um, reading the smoke or reading the flames or reading the ashes um if you do those things they're all very handy things you can do practically in a cauldron especially you know if you are a somebody who uses fire frequently then having a really sturdy good cast iron cauldron do it spend the money just do it (laughs) um and rebirth now a cauldron mostly because of its shape, because they're kind of the rounder 
things. things. They represent the womb. And while we here at Lunar Magic try not to get too gender specific, there are things that need to be not gender specific necessarily, but there are functions. The feminine energy or Yeah. And so the so as a as a representation of the womb, if you're using it for the concept of rebirth, especially if you're doing big fresh start rituals and you want to just kind of cut the past and leave it behind, doing a big rebirthing ritual is great. And you can use a cauldron for that. Um, now, in her book, she has loads and loads of deep, deep rituals. Now, I don't do ritual magic. We all know this. I don't know it either. So, you're not going to get those from us. Because uh, <laughs> we just, we're not, ritual is too... Well, no. Well, no, yes. Not that well, for me, I'm too fly by night. Like I, when I need a, and maybe this is maybe this is the ex Christian in me. Yeah, you, I am a minister's daughter, and mm -hmm. so yeah, maybe it feels too organized for me. Um, but often when I do my magic, I'm not doing it on a schedule. Like the sabbats are about as close as it gets, and even yeah. then, how often do I forget? Kind of made me pay more attention to my altar, mm -hmm. and now it just one goes like mine still is going, and it'll change here for three weeks or <laughs> might change up crystals a little bit, but it's still the same. Oh, candles really are still there. So really quickly, I want to talk about different type, like the different materials you can use. Mm -hmm. or is it, okay, mm -hmm. because I want to go over some safety tips because I told you you should put light fire or not. Well, well, here's why. I am very active on TikTok, and I've been noticing some unsafe practices. And around I... Fire. Around fire. Around water, even. And I don't... I'm not going to call anybody out because that's been you. taken care of. Um, but I do want to, for our podcast, always be very aware that we need safety first, and we, we need... You know, safe practices are really best for everybody. So, the best—I don't want to say the best. Uh, metal cauldrons. Now, you can get a, a metal cauldron in almost any material, any metal you can mold or shape. So there are cast iron ones are typically the most common. I have a beautiful one I bought at Target, and I didn't even spend twenty dollars on it. Um, if you want a cast iron one, I can almost guarantee you, you can go to a camping supply store and you will find one. Um, again, it doesn't have to have the three little legs, although it is very handy because um, it does lift it up off the ground and it's just, it's very handy to have the three little legs and a handle is always nice. And cast iron distributes heat really well, mm -hmm. um, but you can get them in bronze and silver, and if you are swanky, you can get them in gold. No one I know has that kind of money. But silver has a pretty low melting point, so you would need to be very cautious with silver, and silver is very malleable, so you would not want to be banging on it like a drum. And I say this knowing how many silver rings I have completely destroyed. 
So the more like one you would leave on your altar and maybe have an offering or something in it. Yes. Not one that you're taking out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would be really leery to use silver with fire. And I would also be leery, like, I wouldn't want to use silver with um, water either. No, copper I wouldn't want to use. But you can get a copper one. Those are also very good. They're going to do the heat really well. They're mm -hmm. gonna, but they're going to require a little more just because they're copper and they're a little fittier. A glass cauldron would be gorgeous, but you'd want to be careful with heat. Now, a glass cauldron would be amazingly beautiful if you were doing primarily water-based or liquid-based work. Oh, gorgeous. Now, you can get plastic cauldrons if you are just using them for very simple things because plastic melts and those fumes are not good for anybody. Same with resin. And I have seen some gorgeous resin cauldrons out there in the universe of Etsy, and they are beautiful, but you can't burn in them. You can water in them, but that's not safe to yeah, drink. No, but I have seen some gorgeous ones that are just beautiful altar pieces. So know your material. If you are going to actively use your cauldron in a transformative, cooking-y sort of way, be very aware we're working with heat. We're working with the potential for fumes. We're working, if you're using fire, let's be careful. If you have pets especially, because pets are attracted to fire like nobody's business. I don't even know why pets are like that. <laughs> so I just want to be like, know what you're getting into. Go into purchasing your cauldron with kind of an idea of how you want to use it. Do some research on any spells you might want to do right off the gate, right out of the gate, and, you know, start thinking about how you plan on moving forward using it. If you just want it on your altar, you could buy a $2, $1, plastic cauldron from Walmart at Halloween and that will serve you beautifully. It will be perfectly acceptable. We're not snobs in that department. I'm like squirrel. Oh, I like that one. Yeah. Now my, like I said, mine is a big mine is a huge it's it's big. Like it's probably big it's probably it holds at least a gallon. And I got mine at Target, um, paid under $20 for it. Mine did not come with a lid. Some of them do. It doesn't really matter. It just depends on what you're going to use it for. Mm -hmm. Now, as for spell work, well, like with anything magical, it's kind of up to you. I and only use it for spell work. Don't use it for cooking. Please, don't, yeah, don't cross Separate the streams. <laughs> Separate your like I, I there is no way I could ever get my cauldron clean enough to cook in, but I don't. And it depends. Like if you're making a some cider or whatever. Well, it depends on your spell. Yeah. Because like, if you're a kitchen witch and do a lot of your spells through your cooking, do that all you want. I'm not a kitchen witch. I don't cook. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm you're just bake. more of a baker. I bake a lot. <laughs> I was just, when I was thinking of the thing, I'm like, okay, so don't be the guy that sucked his thumb in. <laughs> no. You know, just crazy. Yeah. Well, and like with my, with my working cauldron, like I would be happy to use one of my nice pots for a stand-in cauldron. And like I would go through the ritual aspects of cleansing it first for that purpose just by, and when I cleanse things frequently for specific purposes, 
if they are things that I use for life, right? Yeah. I will just pass them through smoke. I have um I have an incense that I use that is specifically for cleansing and blessings. And I'll just light a stick of that, waft it over whatever I'm trying to mm-hmm. cleanse and bless for whatever yeah. purpose. So but because I'm a fire witch and I tend to how do I word this so that the FBI man doesn't <laughs> um I I am pro hex. Mm-hmm. I'm very pro hex. And sometimes when you're me and pro hex, you burn things that are not edible. Yeah. <laughs> and if you are also an herbalist, <laughs> which I am, and you know, you know that that's not. Listen, um, I have plants and have access to plants that are not safe for human consumption. They are medicinal, like you would put them on your skin, but you would not consume them. Mm-hmm. Or if you use them in the hex, they tend to be a little poisonous. Yeah. Know what you're working with. I don't have a problem working with poisons when I'm doing hex work. So I don't know that I would feel safe using my cauldron because I happen to know what I've used that's and what right. I've burned in there. Yeah. And that's all. I, I mean, I have a separate mortar and pestle that never touches real food. A really good stand-in for a cauldron, if you don't have one, but you, and you just need a little work, is a mortar and pestle. Yeah, because they're, like, they're pretty hefty, and they'll hold things really well, and most of them are stone. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's probably yeah. not. Um, one of the, my favorite things to do with my cauldron is to use it to, I will write my spell or write what I need to write as part of the spell and any herbs and whatever and set that in my cauldron and just let it sit there for a full moon cycle. Mm. Um, especially if it's a big work. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Like maybe a bay leaf? Well, paper or I burn my bay leaf spells in my spell. Oh, okay. <laughs> But because I just I do them all the time. But um, some of the bigger stuff. So like some of the things where, oh, I had to do a banishment for a bit. It was huge. <laughs> it was a big, I was getting rid of it. Uh, anyway, um, so I selected out my herbs and I wrote the, the written part of the spell and I set everything in there and I covered it with a black cloth, the top of the cauldron with a black cloth, and I just kind of tucked it away. And I started it on the dark of the moon, which is the day after the new moon. It's when there's zero moon in the sky. So it's not yes. quite, it's just, right. So, which is when I like to do my hex work. Um, so I started it, and then on the next dark moon, I burned everything. And then I gathered up the ashes, and I put them in, the, in a jar, and then I sealed the jar with black candle wax, and twine and mm-hmm. all of that good stuff that you use. And then I left it somewhere. I'm not going to tell anybody where. <laughs> Very nice. It wasn't the one that I know. I so uh, if you're big into candle magic, using your cauldron as your candle holder. Now, this is a practical tip that because so if you, you do a, more of the, not the taper candles. Well, if you... But if you, you if you need to use a taper candle and your cauldron is is big enough and sturdy enough and fireproof enough, melt the bottom of the candle, yeah. melt some wax in the bottom of that cauldron, and and anchor the candle with its own wax. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, 
or sand. I, um, because I am ironically a fire witch who is terrified, terrified of fire. Of fire. Do we yeah. understand how magic works? No. <laughs> we just know that frequently if I decide I need to do something magically, I'll go burn it. Or just go burn it. But in it. a controlled situation. I do. It's always controlled. The only time it got away from me is that was my fault. <laughs> and it wasn't even practically my fault. The magic got away from me. It was. <laughs> it was a great thing. I now understand why everything happened the way it did. But it was fine. <laughs> um, so I will... my. The bulk of my fire magic actually happens in a terracotta pot that I fill with sand and and then just dump the sand when it's done. Um, I have no problems just throwing away things when it's time. I don't bury them. I don't. Yeah. It depends on the spell. It depends on how I'm feeling. But because of where I live right now, I can't go out and bury anything. Yeah. That's almost suspicious. And I got creepy neighbors. Um. <laughs> So, you know, I have no problems throwing away. Here's the thing with magic. Think, in we're think magic is a lot of thinking in terms of metaphors mm -hmm. and thinking in terms of myth, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so, and we always say this, it's all about intention. So if your intention is I want to clear my life of X thing. Okay, well, what does X thing mean to you, right? How can you use something practical to represent this thing that you want to get rid of, right? And then how would you practically now get rid of this stand-in, right? Yeah. That's, all, that's the bulk of what we're trying to do here. Yeah, to me all these different tools and magic is a different way of manifesting what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. So it's a visual way of manifesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And people use different tools. And it's all about the same. Whether I manifest it or I cook it or candle magic, whatever they need, you're, you're mm -hmm. putting that intention and manifestation of what you want. Yep. And my manifestation is a little more... <laughs> Less than other people, like you need my dry sigil, like burn a candle. Nancy's the manifestation queen over here. I can occasionally manifest a parking spot. We mean occasionally, we do it all the time. No, I don't. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so that's our episode on cauldrons. And with that, we uh, you can find us at www.lunarmagicteatime.com. You can email us at lunar at lunarmagicteatime.com. You can listen to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, CastBox, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere really that you find a podcast, you can find us. Just make sure you put the Lunar Magic Tea Time in front of it. You can find us on YouTube, TikTok, uh, Instagram. That's it. I don't know why I keep trying to. Oh, Teespring. Teespring. Although I am thinking about changing. As always, have a magical day.